it's great to see everyone here today. Um, I just want to say a couple words about small groups. Um, if you're new to Creekside, um, I just want to give you a kind of a feel for what small groups are at, at uh, our church. Uh, every year, you know, from September to around April or May, um, we gather together into uh, groups of about oh, 12 to 18 adults per group to really just get together and uh, encourage each other. And if I could summarize small groups in two words, I would use connect and change, okay? I think you can remember those. They both start with a C, so if you think of Creekside Church, and then you think of small groups, think of connect and change. Small groups are really a unique opportunity to get to know each other, uh, to connect at a, at a level that's just a little more intimate, a little deeper, uh, to pray and share what's going on in our lives with, with, other, with our church family. And then really we want to see change in our lives. We want to see spiritual growth. And, you know, there's something also really uh, neat about just sitting down to study God's word together, to be able to open up and ask questions, to be able to have some discussion time together. And, uh, you know, I think if you talk to people who have been involved in small groups in the past, um, people will say, man, heard a lot of people that have said, you know, that's when I really felt like I was a part of this church. That's when I really got to know people. That's when God really started to help me grow is when I got plugged into a small group. So if that sounds like something you'd want to be involved in, we have a sign-up table out there. The groups will start two weeks from today on September 18th. So stop by, take a look at where those groups are at, and love to get you plugged into one. I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. And I Our desire is to be surrendered to you this morning so that your Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts and lead us. Father, you never meant for us to live this life alone, but surrounded by your presence and the Holy Spirit of God leading us in every step in life, God. And we know that when we follow the leading of your Spirit, We'll go places that nowhere, no one else is going. God will reach people for the kingdom of God. And that is our desire this morning, Father, is to know true freedom in the name of Jesus. And God, so I, I just pray that the Spirit is unleashed in this place to open our hearts to what you have to teach us this morning. God, that, that you would move me out of the way, that you would move the band out of the way, that we would make the name of Jesus great that our desire would be to bring the love of Jesus to a lost and dying world, Father. And for every heart in this room this morning, I just pray peace upon them. I pray blessing upon them, God. But I also pray um, a, a restlessness in our hearts that the Holy Spirit can come and speak to our hearts this morning a freedom to that restlessness that is Jesus Christ. A freedom from the guilt, a freedom from the shame. I don't care how long people in this church have been going to church, God, but that doesn't mean a thing when we're stuck in the bondage of our sin or we're hiding behind things and, and, and not stepping out of our place of fear to do what you want us to do, God. Only Jesus can set us free. Only Jesus can give us true purpose and freedom in this life. And so I pray that upon everybody in this room that the lies of Satan would have no place here because we claim the name of Jesus. Fight for us this morning. We call on the name of Jesus, our King. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. I don't know if you felt this, but like during that, during that song, I like felt this, just a stirring inside of me. Everybody was like sitting down, and I know everybody gets like anxious to stand up or sit down, or what do we do for worship and whatever. I'm standing there back, and I'm like, we're singing these words, we're singing this song, and we're sitting down, and like I, at the moment I had that feeling, like I should 
just walk up front. I don't want to be arrogant, but I, I should walk up front and just get people to stand up because I know that I'm not the only one that felt like I wanted to stand up in that moment because as soon as Pablo said, I almost said Javier, they're both Puerto Rican, so I, I'm sorry, it's, it's funny, <laughs> but as soon as Pablo said stand up, as soon as I had that feeling, Pablo said stand up, and as soon as people stood up, it was like boom, this freedom of worship in the room, and so my encouragement to you is don't let what the worship leader says stop you from actually worshiping, right? Because I, I mean, I stand up there sometime, and, and it, it's kind of like, okay, like we're in the song, and we we're, we're singing, and some people are at church, and they're like, why are we singing? Because this is weird, right? But we're singing because God tells us in the like singing music. We listen to music, and oftentimes music is one of the best ways to express a heart desire or a heart feeling. And we've talked about this before, that how sometimes music and the songs that we sing can be a song of prayer. It can be a song of praise. It can be a song of declaring truth. But whatever it is, my encouragement to you is don't let waiting for instructions from the worship leader stop you from worshiping, right? Because we do this whole sit down when you, when, when you're, when, when you sit down because everybody else is sitting down and then stand up when you're told to stand up, but don't you dare stand up or raise a hand or do anything like that until you're told, right? Let's get out of that. Let's not do that, Okay? This is like, don't look at the person next to you. Don't worry about what the, we are here to be in the presence of God together. You can lead the person next to you. Trust me, you're not the only one in the room that thinks, man, I really want to do this, but I don't know how to express. I don't want to be the only one to stand up. There's this fear, right? And so that's my encouragement to you, just that we're free, Right? We don't come to church to be held in bondage. We come to church to be free. We come to church so that we can be in the presence of God together and actually be free. And I can tell that like there's this angst in you because a lot of you are looking at me like, you're saying this, but I am not doing, it's not me, it's not me, right? I ain't doing that, right? But that's not why we're here. We're here to be together in the presence of God and I can tell you this, when you're in the presence of God, he can change you. I don't care how long you've been saved. He can change you in his presence. And when we come together, there's a certain power about that. When we worship and God inhabits the praises of his people, there's a power about that that the Holy Spirit can change us when we're together. And so that's my prayer for us as a church. It was just an observation um, from this morning. And I felt it. I'm like, go, go, go. And then, and then, Pablo said that, and people stood up, and it was like this freedom in the room. So that's my encouragement to you this morning. I, wanna, I just want to share a little lesson about occupying your street with, with, with you this morning. Our, our mission here is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. And so the phrase that we're grabbing onto for 2016 is occupy your street. I looked up the word occupy, dictionary.com, my favorite place to go, um, and, and the word occupy actually means to take possession of or control of, to take or fill up a place or a time. So when we say it's our job to occupy our street with the love of Jesus, we're actually saying we are going to fill. We are going to fill these places with the love of Jesus. It's not just this, I have a message. It's, it's like, I am going to fill. In everything that I do, I am going to let Jesus come out. I'm not going to hide that part of me when I go to work, when I'm at home in my neighborhood, right? When I'm at the barber shop, when I'm eating at a restaurant that I eat at, and I have the same, I am going to let the Jesus part of me just come out. And I am filling this space, literally filling this space with the love of Jesus. And so when we talk about Occupy Your Street, it's not just this, oh, I'm here, so I'm gonna, I gotta gear up and tell this person about Jesus, or I gotta gear up and tell this bishop. It's like, no, I am living my life, and every day that I live my life, I go, and the Jesus part of me just spilled. It is what I have been made to be. I am no longer a slave to my sin. I am a follower of Jesus. And so then that just starts to come out, right? 
and I fill the places of my life with the love of Jesus. And eventually people start to grab onto that. I have been praying recently that God would help me to be a better listener. I know what's true about me often is when, um, when I think about the word evangelism, and we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, uh, when I think about the word evangelism, it's like, got to gear up, got to get ready to go, and I, I have a message that I have to share with this person, and I got to get it in, no matter what, right? And so I gear up because it's nerve-wracking and I'm afraid and it's like I'm not comfortable with this, right? But I've been asking God to help me become a better listener. Because people really want to be heard. But the moment that people are, are, are talking to you, people aren't as stupid as we think they are, Right? The moment that we're talking to somebody and they can tell you have an agenda apart from what they are communicating to you right there, boom, it turns them off. And they know you don't care as much about them as you care about smacking them over the head with your Bible, right? I mean, it's kind of a harsh way to say it, but that's the way they see it, right? And so in my prayer for God to make me a better listener Sometimes, maybe the best way to occupy my street in a moment for the gospel of Jesus is to actually listen to what somebody just told me and respond to what they just said, right? Because how awkward is it when, like, you're in a conversation with somebody. If you're in a conversation with somebody and you know how, like, infuriating that is when you just talk to, to a person you just vomited on them all of, like, everything that's wrong in your life, and then you could tell right away by their response that they didn't hear a darn word I just said, right? And it's like, I am never telling this person anything again because they weren't listening to me. They had an agenda, right? And so in me praying for God to make me a better listener, I'm essentially praying that I have God's agenda on my mind, not my own, right? That I don't have to gear up to occupy my street. It just becomes who I am, and then I actually live life. There's a freedom about that, right? I don't have to get nervous every time I'm around unbelievers. It's like, no, I get to live my life with unbelievers, with people who are far from God, and then I get to be who I am, right? And then I, get, I just get to, I get to listen to people, and then I respond to what they just said based on who God has made me. I respond with truth to what is going on in their life. I mean, it's what Jesus did. Jesus was one of the greatest listeners. He was the greatest listener of all time. And every time he responded to somebody, he responded to what they actually just said to him, not what he had preconceived in his mind. That I, 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 have, to, I, have, to, I have to tell them this. I have to tell them this. I have to tell them this. So we respond to people. And it's the best way to show people that we actually love them is to be quiet and listen. So, today we are going to wrap up our Fruit of the Spirit series with a message on self-control. Next week, I want you to see this picture really quick. Next week, we're going to start with Bob Short um, running the race. And Bob is actually a runner, so that's, that's decent. That's, that's fitting, right? Bob, you're a runner, right? He's better than Brandon. Um, I'm just kidding. You know, I'm kidding, dude. I'm kidding. You know, he's definitely not better than Colin. Colin could whoop his dad in a race. But, um... Anyway, Bob's going to start that running the race. It's about some things, and I, I love this because we're, we're spending time talking about the fruit of the Spirit. A life that's lived by the Spirit of God will produce the fruit of the Spirit. And so we're talking about these concepts that we want to see come out in our life. And so this next series, Running the Race, is all about some spiritual disciplines, some actual practical things that we can do, that we can engage in, habits that we can build into our lives to start seeing the fruit of the, to, to feed the Spirit. In our lives. So we're excited about the running the race series. Um, but we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to wrap that up today. And I know that sometimes, because of your personality, you may see some of the fruit of the Spirit come out in your life stronger. You may feel like, I'm better at this, I'm worse at that, I'm good at this one, I'm terrible at this one, and so, and so we start to work on the ones that we're bad at. And we're start, So granted, that may be true because of your personality, you are naturally 
better at loving people, but you're not so self-controlled, right? You may be, you may be very gentle with people, right? Um, but you're not a very peaceful person. Actually, those two kind of go together, so that was a bad example. But you know what I'm saying, right? But the truth of the matter is, is if you are a believer in Jesus, then you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to see all of these things come out in your life, right? I mean, it's a prime example of when God says in Scripture, when, when we are weak, he is strong. We are empowered. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out the fruit of the Spirit as a singular whole package and to reveal the glory of God to people around you. We believe that the fruit of the Spirit is a partial reflection of who God is, but our job is to reveal the glory of God. And the word glory is actually defined as who a person really is, right? Who a person really is. So by the way that we live our lives, empowered by the Spirit of God, not on our own strength, empowered by the Spirit of God, the way that we live our lives, we are revealing the glory of God, who God really is to the world around us. And I think self-control is a great one to end on because I think it puts a big bow on the whole thing, right? Because here's what self-control does. Self-control defines what you hold most dear in life. We're going to unpack that a little bit. Self-control defines what you hold most dear in life. Like if I hold most God, God most dear in my life, if he is number one, Right? If he is first and foremost priority in my life, then I will seek to discipline myself and I will seek the habits that it takes to live out the fact that God is number one in my life. But if I value sports, possessions, even my family, my job, or an addiction, something that I am held to, something that I am held captive by, if I hold those things in priority in my life over God, then I will not show the self-control that I need in order to live a spirit-filled life because I will be feeding my flesh rather than feeding the spirit of God. So what our priorities are, will show. I will show whatever is on the top of the list, right? And I guarantee you that it is not God for everybody in this room. I promise you that. And sometimes the way that I live my life, what, what my wife would say was my priority for that day, it's not always God. Like, I want to live my life that way. But in, in, in reality, what comes out is not a proof that God is actually on the top of the list. But whatever it is on the top of that list, you will, you will always exercise the self-control that it takes to keep that thing on the top of the list, right? So everything else in life, right, you will exercise the self-control that you need not to partake in those things in order to keep the most important thing at the top of the list. You get where I'm going with this? I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11. We'll, we'll read that in a moment. If you don't have a Bible, there might be one near you in the front, uh, under the seat in front of you. You can use your phone. Um, it'll be on the screen as well. But the sermon this morning is titled, Self-Control, colon, God and the Prodigal. Self-Control, God and the Prodigal. We're going to look at some of the key things pertaining to self-control from the story of the prodigal son. If you've been in church, you know what I mean by the, the story of the prodigal son. If you don't, you have no idea. And so you're about to find out um, what that story is all about. I want you to note this, that in this story, there are a lot more lessons to be learned than what we're going to look at this morning. There are um, more than one character. We're only going to look at, we're going to look at two of them, but there, there is the youngest son, the oldest son, and the father. And then there is also the audience into which Jesus is telling this story. There are lessons to be learned from every single part of who's involved in this story. We're not going to look at all of them this morning, but I would suggest a great place to go 
for this story to get like a whole picture of this story is just go on YouTube, okay? YouTube, you can get everything on YouTube. Go on YouTube and look up Tim Keller, Prodigal God. Tim Keller, Prodigal God. He does an amazing job talking about this story in a way that I've never heard it before. So it's, it's, it's pretty good. Tim Keller, Prodigal God. But before we read this passage, we need to define what self-control actually is. So from Galatians 5, where the list of the fruit of the Spirit are listed, the Greek word for self-control defines it in these words. Temperate, continence, contentedness, sufficiency, or soberness. Now the opposite of that, the opposite is this. This will help a little bit define. Self-indulgent, senselessness, pleasure, or prodigal. That word prodigal stuck out to me, so I had to look it up. Wasteful or recklessly extravagant. Wasteful or recklessly extravagant. Remember, whatever is at the top of your list, right, you will become self-controlled with all the other stuff to keep that thing at number one, right? And often, with, with the things in our lives, we will become prodigal, right, to keep that thing Number one in our life, if it's not God. So here we go. I want you to write a couple things down. You have to write more than one thing down this morning. I don't care if you write anything else down. Text it to yourself. Get out your phone. Lock it in the vault. Here's what I want you to remember. The definition of self-control that we're going to use for this morning is this. Finding full sufficiency in God as Father. Finding full sufficiency in God as Father. And you're like, that's not self-control. Like, I, th- I thought self-control was not doing bad things and making myself do good things, right? Here's the deal. A lack of sufficiency, a lack of desire for, a lack of sufficiency in what God has provided for you causes a lack of self Control. So how to become a person of self-control is to find your complete fulfillment and sufficiency in God. The only way to become a self-controlled person and keep God at the top of your list is to find your full and complete fulfillment and sufficiency in who God is. So if we start thinking of the definition of self-control as the thing that it takes to stay self-controlled, it will help us to actually be self-controlled people rather than just thinking, stay away from the bad, do the good. Stay away from the bad, do the good. All that is is behavior modification. It doesn't help anybody, right? But if we get to the root cause that we're not actually fully sufficient in who God is and that we don't find our complete identity in who God says that we are, we will not be self-controlled people. We will be prodigal people. And so the second thing I want you to write down is this. The first thing was finding full sufficiency in God as Father. That's the definition of self-control. And then here's the big thing that I want you to remember for the morning. A lack of self-control or sufficiency in Jesus, a lack of self-control produces prodigal children. So a lack of sufficiency in Jesus produces people who want to wander off and find fulfillment in the things that should not be at the top of their list. And they become wasteful and recklessly extravagant with this life, running after things that will never, ever, ever fully fill you that will never, ever, ever fully satisfy you. And so we become reckless. So let's read this story in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. The parable of the prodigal son. It's verse 11 through 32. And so whatever you need to do to lock on to what's going, don't just glaze over the words, but I want you to let what's going on in this story sink in. Hear it as a story. This is Jesus talking, and he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And the father, he divided his property between them. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and he took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he, became, uh, to, he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country uh, who sent him into the field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one would give him anything. But when he came to himself, I mean, when he came to his senses, senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and his shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. He said to him, Your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. You've never gave me a young goat. You never even gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But this, this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to his son, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So I want to give you two attitudes from this story that we need to seek to build into our lives in order to avoid becoming prodigal children and at the same time becoming self-controlled people. So here they are, number one. We need to become thankful people. You can think of it this way. Have an attitude of gratitude. All right? You need to become a thankful person. Have an attitude of gratitude. And number two, we need to be humble people. Thankful people and humble people. And if we can work on both those two things, it will keep us from becoming prodigal children and help us become self-controlled people. So number one, thankful people. We see here a son that was not okay with what his life was. He did not wake up every day and say, oh, thank you, God, for everything that you've given me. Thank you for my father. Thank you for my brother. Like, this job is so often. No, he was very discontent with all the things in his life. He was not satisfied on a day-to-day basis. He was not happy with what his life was. He failed to be thankful for what was, prov- to, for what was provided for him by his father on a day-to-day basis. So in that day, it was culturally understand for a father, a father of a whole household, the patriarch, okay, that he would divide his estate bet- between his sons, okay, and the oldest son would always get the bigger share. So in this case, two sons, the older son would have gotten two-thirds, okay, and then the, the last third that was left would have gone to the younger son. And so, but it was culturally known that this division of the estate only happened once the patriarch had died, okay? And then all, the estate would be sold and it would be divvied out among the sons, But here, we see the younger son. He goes, and he asks for his third. All he's getting is a third. Dude, it's like, bro, you're only getting a third, man. If you live and stay here, you have the whole thing. You have an abundance here, right? 
And but the son goes and he says, Father, I want you to give me my third of the estate now. And so what his father had to do in order to actually give him something that he could take with him and that he could actually hold, he had to sell a third of his estate. That means what the father and the older son were left with was only two-thirds, and they lost a third of their property, right? You can understand why the older son was, was a little upset. But the father, the son, is essentially saying to this father, okay, Dad, I know, like, I'm really not interested in having a great relationship to you. As a matter of fact, I wish you were dead so that I would get what is coming to me. Because culturally, him asking his father that, that's what his father would have heard. Like, son, this only happens. People only do this when the father dies. Like, you can't have this now, right? But the son was in his face saying, I care more about my life than I care about our relationship. Dad, I wish you were dead so that I could get what is coming to me. You see, this lack of thankfulness in our lives pervades our subconscious, right? And it drives us to do harsh things that we don't mean. It drives us to say harsh things that we don't mean. And then we become prodigal people. We run after things that are not on the top of our list recklessly, right? in ways that are just not healthy for us. We begin to strive after things that are never, ever going to fulfill us. But when we are thankful people towards all that God has provided for us, toward what we have, and we acknowledge like everything that I have. You've heard me say this before. Everything that you have, are you holding it like this, with a closed fist, unwilling to let go of it? Or are you holding it like this? Saying, God, I know that everything I have is from you. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to take it away, it's yours. If you want to give me more, thank you. (laughs) I mean, you know what I'm saying? But we hold it like this, not like this. We're not selfish with our stuff. Self-control is finding our full sufficiency in God as Father. And being thankful is a constant reminder that what we have, what I have right now, goes to show that God's promise is secure. When he says you'll never go hungry and you'll never go without food. (laughs) We talked about setting our standard here when our our need is actually here, right? God always provides, always promises to provide our need. He wants us to live an abundant spiritual life. But physically, he, he, he promises to provide everything we need. And so when we are thankful for those things on a daily basis, it reminds us, yeah, God, what you have given me, what you have provided me with, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. My life is so much more than just what I own or what I have or the clothes that I'm wearing, Right? My life is defined by so much more than that. So then we don't need to go after these other things to fulfill. Anytime that we are unthankful, we breed this discontentment that causes us over the long run to become prodigal and run after things or people, and we lose all self-control. So when I think of the word self-control, I think of an avoidance of temptation, right? And I often think of it as like when you, when you, if you said, define self-control for me, the first thing that would pop into my head would be like avoid temptation. Don't do the bad stuff. Don't do the bad stuff. Don't do the bad stuff. And it often pops into my head on a, like on the sexual basis. Don't do the, be a self-controlled person, Right? And so here is an example that I want to share with you that, that is it's in my life a, a great example of um, being thankful every day for what I've been given so that the temptation to run after other things just flies away, right? And if you're, this is really an example for, like, for married people, but here's the thing. If you're not married, go with it. All right? This is just a good idea. If you're not married, if you're engaged, go with it, right? If you're, if you're 
in love, go with it, all right? I don't care what, what, who you are, Edge, go with this, okay? Now, my wife, she's sitting right there. She's absolutely the most beautiful person in this room, <laughs> right? Every man that's married in a room should disagree with me right now because my wife is the absolute most beautiful person in, my room, in, in this room, in any room that I am in my life, my wife is the most beautiful person that is alive, right? Today, right now, she is my standard of beauty. She's not, it's, it's not that my wife, when I first met Heather, and I saw her, and I was like, whoa, right? Honestly, the first, for, every, for most dudes, the first thing that attracts them to a woman is the way they look. It's just honest, honest, right? And so then we pursue them, right? My standard of beauty right now at 1121 on this Sunday morning is not Heather the day I met her. It's not Heather on the day that I married her. It is Heather right now sitting where she's sitting. She is my standard of beauty. If it was true that a wife was your standard of beauty, was a husband's standard of beauty on the day that they met or on the, on, the, on the day they got married, no woman would ever have kids, right? I mean, honestly, like, I think about it, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, dudes, at least the women have an excuse for their bodies to change, but like, when her body started changing, I looked at me in the mirror, and I'm like, what is going on? I'm changing too. This is not happening. Like, what? Okay, you can call it sympathy weight or whatever, but it's like she craved stuff. I craved it too. It was amazing. It was like, man, this is awesome. You should get pregnant more often. We should have a fifth kid because I like to eat, right? I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, I was off that train. I'm off that train, okay? All right. But anyway, she is my standard of beauty every single day that I wake up, right? And here's the deal. They have it rougher because... Men, we are their standard of studliness, right? And like, I'm definitely a lot uglier and smellier and noisier in the privacy of my home than she is. And noisy, you know what I mean, right? It goes with the smell. Especially in the morning. And I have to be her standard of studliness, right? That's hard, okay? Here's the deal. Every single day that I wake up, I have to make a choice. God, thank you for my wife. Thank you for Heather. Thank you for how beautiful she is. Thank you for who she is inside and out. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because if I forget to be thankful for what God has given me in Heather, the temptation arises to go after things that will not satisfy me completely, but they might lie to me and say, I'm going to satisfy you for a moment, right? You get what I'm saying? If I ever forget to be thankful for what God has given me in Heather, I will be tempted to run after things and be reckless with my life and throw it away because I fail to be thankful. She is my standard of beauty. And believe it or not, I am her standard of studliness. It's hard but the Holy Spirit can empower you and has empowered you in every area of life to keep God as number one, to be a self-controlled person, to be thankful every day, be self-controlled with everything that is not on the top of your list so that you can keep God as number one. And number two is to be humbled people. So what happened in this story? The son, when he realized that he had sinned against heaven and against his father, he changed his thinking, right? Heather and I say this to each other a lot, but change the way you think. Change the way you think. We learned, I learned this from Javier. Change the way you think, you'll change the way you live. Change the way you think, you change the way you live, right? This, this man changed his Thinking, He admitted, he had to come to the point where he admitted that what he was doing was wrong and he returned to his father. Now here's the deal, it takes a ton 
of humility to stand up, to be a man or a woman that says, yes, what I did was wrong. My actions have been wrong. It takes humility to be the kind of person that admits their sin to God and continually chooses on a daily basis to be thankful and to follow Jesus. Now here's the deal. We still sin, but we confess continually on a regular basis. James 5.16 says this, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that we confess on a daily basis to receive forgiveness from God over and over and over and over again because the truth of scripture tells us that when we come to Jesus for salvation, right? We come to Jesus for salvation and at that moment, God, because of Jesus, forgives all of our sin, past, present, and future. We say this all the time, but there is nothing in your life more powerful than the cross of Jesus Christ. So you come, and you're like, there's no way that Jesus, that, that God can forgive what I've done in my past. And you hold on to your guilt. Guess what? Forgiven, forgot about. God does not see you defined by that sin in the past. He sees you white as snow because you're, bl- you're covered by the blood of Jesus. And what you're struggling with right now, he wants you to be free from because it's destructive and because he's already forgiven it. So you being stuck in that sin is you having a misunderstanding of what you've been freed from. And so he forgives sins that you're a part of right now, but he wants you to walk away from them. And he forgives sins that you haven't even committed yet, that he knows you're going to struggle with. Why? Because that's how powerful the cross of Jesus is. It transcends this moment of time into all time and forgives everything because of faith in Jesus. Right? And so we don't confess to get that forgiveness over and over and over again. We confess to each other so that we can pray for each other and we can be healed from either the bondage and the captivity of doing that same thing over and over and over again. We can be healed from the guilt we feel when we do that thing over and over and over again, right? Because it's amazing how guilt actually, we feel really bad about something, but then it actually becomes the thing that drives us back into it, right? So we confess to each other on a daily basis, so we can pray for each other. We walk away from destructive behaviors, and we're reminded that we are in need of a Savior, and we can't heal ourselves. When we're humble enough to confess and turn from our sin, we're reminded of this, like, God wants me to live an abundant life, right? And Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. It doesn't mean that you're going to live your life without sin. It means you're going to strive to be free in Jesus. You're going to continually preach the gospel to yourself, right? And the abundant life means that Jesus stands next to us and when we mess up, he says, get up, keep going, because that's forgiven. You can keep going, you can keep going, you can keep going, and we actually live in freedom. So self-control is finding full sufficiency in God as Father. A lack of self-control produces prodigal children. The band's gonna come back up now. And when we look at this story we see that, like, first off, the father, when the son asked for his share of the estate, the father could have, and when I first read this, I'm like, the father should have, right? The father could have completely refused to give his son what he was asking for. And culturally, he could have given some pretty stiff consequences for that type of request, because it was an absurd request. Instead, what does the father do? The father graciously gives the son what he asks for. And then when the son goes off on his prodigal adventure and he returns home, the father could have cast him out and shunned him and said, you have no place in this family. You already gave up your right to be a son. You gave up your right to be a brother. You gave up your right to the rest of the riches that we have here, right? 
You wanted what you wanted. You went and you wasted it. You were an idiot with your life. And you gave this up. You can't come back. He could have done that. Right? But instead, what does he do? It says that the father saw the son from far off and he had compassion on him and he ran. Okay? In that day, it was crazy to see. If his neighbors looked out and saw this man running, a, a, um, the patriarch in that culture never ran. They wore these like long robe things that went all the way to the ground that, first of all, never exposed their legs. So culturally, for a patriarch to expose his legs was shameful, right? And to run? I like that culture. Like, never run. I love it. Um, but to run... For a patriarch of the family was crazy. What does he do? Boom. He grabs his skirt, pulls it up, exposes his legs, and takes off. Okay? Bearing his own shame for compassion for his prodigal son. Right? And in this story, the father is God. God does not ever force his way upon us, but he does tell us that Jesus is the only way to heaven. God does not twist our arm to choose or receive salvation, but he does say that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. So when we choose to run from God with no self-control, without thankfulness and a lack of humility, when we come to that point where we're willing to say, God, I have sinned against you. What does he do? What does he do? He pulls his, his skirt up. I don't know whatever else to call it. He pulls his garment up. He exposes his own shame. That was Jesus on the cross. And he pursues you. And he runs. And he embraces you. And it doesn't matter how prodigal you have been. He runs with open arms to celebrate you, that you are found, and that he wants to welcome you back into the family, and that you can come now and enjoy everything that they enjoy, right? So this is what God offers through belief in Jesus. So right now, we're going to take communion, and all communion is, is Jesus, before he died, he went to the cross to save us from our sins. Before he died, he said, here's some bread and here's some wine. Whenever you take these things, the bread is to remind you of my broken body for you and the wine is to remind you of my blood poured out for you. And that, what that blood will do for you is to save you forever. It will make you clean. It will wipe away. It will wash away. It will completely take away all your sins. So that's why we take the bread and the cup to remember what Jesus did for us. But here's the deal. In a moment, there's two places up front. There's one in the back, okay? In a moment, people are going to scatter, right? And they're going to go and they're going to come up here. They're going to go in the back while the music is playing, okay? If you're here this morning and you've never come to the point in your life where you've made the choice to turn away from your sin as master and follow Jesus as your Savior, if you've never made that choice, if you want this morning to make that choice to have freedom in Jesus from your sin, to follow him as your master and your father, when everyone else comes up to take communion and there's, you're, you're sitting there and it's like, this moment is terrible because you don't know what to do with yourself. When everybody else starts moving around, I just want you to walk to the back and I'm gonna be back there and I wanna pray with you. Because this is the most significant choice that you will ever make in your life. It's that moment of humility that says, I'm going to go to the only place that could ever save me from the consequences of my sin. And I know that if I have enough humility in my heart to say, God, I'm sorry, that he will embrace you with open arms. And the moment that Jesus died on the cross... That was God bearing out his own shame so that you could come into his family again. Or for the first time. And so if that's you this morning, when everybody else gets up to take the bread and the juice, I just want you to walk to the back and I want to pray with you. And then I want to be able to direct you how you can pursue Jesus from there. And how you can live an abundant life. So let's pray and then we're going to worship together. God,
I just thank you that you bore your own shame. That Jesus, you were obedient to death on a cross, bearing the shame, bearing the, the, your Father turning his back on you so that we could enter into the family. That you open up your arms and embrace us and you celebrate that we once were lost and now we're found. God, I, I, just, I just thank you for Jesus and I thank you for um, these things that you've given us to remember him. I pray that we truly would in these moments. Father, open our hearts to you. Anybody that's in this room right now that has never made the choice to come to you to be their savior, God, I pray that today would be the day. Give us all humility and thankfulness. Jesus, we love you. In your name, amen. Before we sing our last song, a couple things to remind you of that right after this, we want to invite you to stay and um, be a part of a lunch, and we're going to hear a presentation from Pablo and Bethany, and you're going to have a chance to ask them questions. Um, during this next song, if you, if you need to go and get your kids, that's fine, um, but we're going to sing this together, and it's, the song's called Open Up the Heavens, and so that's my challenge to you, is that every day this week, you ask God through the Holy Spirit to open up the heavens, and that our prayer as a church becomes that God will do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Because I can imagine quite a bit. But the fact is that God is so much more powerful than that. That my limited thinking cannot limit God. I will not put God in that box. Right? So my desire is to see Him blow my mind. And I just want to be a part of it. So instead of asking God to come be a part of what you're doing this week, ask God to make you a part of what he's doing. And I guarantee you the results will be so much greater for the kingdom of God. So that becomes our prayer. God, open up the heavens. Make me a part of what you are a part of. Right? So I'm going to pray for us one more time as a church. And this is going to be our prayer. That God would open up the heavens and show us way more than we can ask or imagine. God. That is our prayer. I pray that over this church that you would open up the heavens. You empower us with your spirit on a daily basis, God. We want to see the kingdom of God here on earth. We want to see it lived out through the way that your people are empowered by the spirit to see people come who are far from you into freedom in you. And so, God, that's our prayer. That's my prayer over this church, that you would empower us and that we would know and understand every day we have the power that raised Jesus from the dead in us to show people the love of Jesus in the kingdom of God. We love you and we need you, God. Open up the heavens in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.